Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Today, Holly Robinson-Pete joins us by phone from California. Holly is an author, an activist, a philanthropist, a wife, and the mother of four beautiful children. Holly starred in 21 Jump Street, among other popular television programs. She is the daughter of the late Matt Robinson, the first actor to portray Gordon on Sesame Street. Holly is married to Rodney Pete, a former NFL quarterback. They and their children, and Holly's mom, I must say, star in a new series on OWN called For Pete's Sake. It airs on Saturday nights. Holly took time out of her very busy schedule to discuss Same But Different, Teen Life on the Autism Express, a book that she co-authored with her 18-year-old twins, RJ and Ryan Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us, Holly. It's a pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Congratulations on your book, Same But Different. It's such a beautiful book. I really loved it. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. We're very proud of it as a family. Yes, as you should be. The story centers around your son, RJ, who has autism. Um, but as he says, autism doesn't have him. Mm-hmm. What does he mean by that? Well, I mean, it's, it, conceptually, it just really is what it is that autism doesn't define my son. That's his take on it. Um, he's been saying that forever. He's 18 now, and he's been saying that since he had language. He didn't have language for a very long time until he was closer to nine, nine or 10. And so he's been saying that, you know, I might have autism, but autism doesn't have me. And I just think he understands that as being, you know, a sign of him being open to possibilities in life and not being limited or defined by a, a disorder. He's more than autism, and I think that's a really great message. It certainly is. Could you tell our listeners about RJ's experience with autism? Sure. RJ was diagnosed when he was three years old. He's now 18. He's a really great kid. He's really sweet and and lovely. Um, For a very long time, he did not have language. He was what they say, how they call nonverbal, and he um, really struggled. I mean, he struggled in every area. Um, for social connection, um, just to be heard, to be understood, to be accepted was very a very big struggle for him. Um, but he's an amazing kid. He loves he loves sports. He loves music. He loves um, I mean, he just he loves food. He loves to eat. He's a pretty typical teenager in a lot of ways, but in other ways, he really struggles. And he also has a facility with math and science. Is that right? Uh, not really, no. He doesn't. It's, and a lot of kids on the spectrum uh, have really, I mean, just like science and math are so easy for them to uh, navigate. Not for him so much. Um, it's interesting, though. His brain is such that he will be able to, if you, he could tell you what day your birthday was on, what day of the week it fell on in 2020. And he can do that in like three seconds. He can really pretty much look at anything and for 
photographically you know, memorize it in his head, you know, your calendar, your schedule for, for a couple years. So he, he's just amazing that way. But with math and science, he always struggled conceptually. So, um, and that's just what's so interesting because a lot of people think that kids with autism are just naturally good at math and science. And some of them are amazing at it, like outside the box, amazing. But my son really struggles with many of the concepts. Maybe it's it's the memory because he has a real command of sports statistics for one thing, though. Oh, yeah, which is, <laughs> so. you know, which you have to have real natural math skills to understand, baseball averages and things like that. He can tell you all kinds of sports statistics. He knows if you just shouted out any NBA uh, team right now, you just said, uh, I don't know, Toronto Raptors, he would tell you exactly what their record is you know, what chances they have of making it into the playoffs or where they stand in the Eastern Conference. You know, it's pretty phenomenal what he's able to do. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and sometimes I'll even use it because he's also like a human GPS. So when we're, we're driving around, you know, he could tell me, he sees in his head. I said, what do you see in your head that allows you to tell me where to go? He goes, I just see arrows in my head and I see you making a left here, making a right here, going straight this way. So he's pretty phenomenal. I keep up, he's very handy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very cool. Also, doesn't he have a real sensitivity to noises, to light, to smells? Yes, he does. He does have a sensitivity to all those things, but he evolved and got used to being able to be in loud places. So for instance, when his father was playing football, when he was younger, four, five, six, it was like impossible for him to be in loud, large stadiums where pyrotechnics were going off. That was impossible for him. He just couldn't be comfortable. Now he's very comfortable with it, but you can tell it impacts him in a different way. So he's, he's almost expecting it, but much, many times, you know, and one of the things that we say in the autism world is that if you met one kid on the autism spectrum, you've only met one kid. So RJ has you know, is a very unique individual. But I have found over the years that many children on the spectrum really struggle with loud noises and being in crowds. Um, interestingly enough, he's sort of grown out of that. Uh, he can smell, I mean, he has like a bloodhound smelling abilities. So he can smell things immediately and sort of identify what those are. But when he was younger, those smells kept him from eating very much. Yes. And in the book, you talk about he has to have a gluten-free diet. I wondered if you could explain that a little bit. Sure. And so just remember, though, I want to remind people that the book is not necessarily about RJ. It's about two fictional characters, Charlie and Callie. And so while it does encompass a lot of the ideas and, and, and sort of the, the core of, of who, we are in our family. It's not a biographical. It's not biographical. It is essentially uh, a lot of a similarity of what we have experienced as a family. But many, many situations that have been uh, of families that we've met over the years. So um, it's not completely autobiographical. But for for um, for RJ, he we did try a gluten free diet. Why? Because when he first got diagnosed with autism. A very wise person told me, have your son, take him directly to the allergist. You know, a lot of families, when you have kids, you don't automatically take your kids to the allergist when they're babies or when they're toddlers to see what their food sensitivities are, mainly because it involves a lot of picking and 
poking and needles, and no kid loves that. But someone suggested to me that since he does have an autism diagnosis, it might be good to find out what food he's sensitive to. And, and gluten, which essentially is wheat, and I say that not facetiously because I didn't know that at the time, what gluten was, um, is in everything. Pasta, pizza, bread, I mean, you name it, it has gluten. So as I started reading the ingredients on everything in the world, I noticed, wow, who knew I was eating so much gluten? And essentially for him, it's like sugar. You know, it kind of gives him a, a headache and a head rush, and he doesn't function very well when he's eaten a lot of gluten. So we found that having his gluten restricted has been very helpful. Oh, interesting. But and- it's a difficult diet. It's yes. very difficult, <laughs> you know, and especially back in 2000 when he got diagnosed because um, it, it was, A, it was in everything. You couldn't really go to a gluten-free aisle in any major, you know, grocery store. But now there are a lot of foods that taste pretty good that are, don't have gluten, so it's a little easier now. Wow, that's great news. Getting back to Same But Different, the chapters alternate between the thoughts of the characters Charlie and his twin sister Callie. Could you talk about how that structure came about? Yes, the narrative of Callie and Charlie's sort of almost diary entries of their experience and their their take on life in different situations during their teen years. Um, It came um, because we really felt like, A, we wanted... Um, Charlie's voice to be heard. So Charlie is like RJ in that, you know, he has autism, but he doesn't always express himself. I think many times we hear or read books about children with autism, but we don't often hear their point of view. Even our book, My Brother Charlie, which we love so much, was really Ryan's uh, through Callie's eyes, her point of view of, you know, what it's like to be a sibling of a kid with autism and what that meant for her life. So insane but different, what I love is that you go back and forth between Callie and Charlie's uh, individual takes on certain issues. And I find it really fascinating to see, you know, how they see life differently and how they see their life experiences together and separately. We thought for uh, other families and for other kids, it would be really eye-opening to have that kind of narrative. And what I find is it makes it a really smooth, um, vivid read. It certainly does. It it works beautifully. On the subject of siblings, uh, including Ryan and your two other sons, what are some of the ways that RJ's diagnosis has affected their lives? We, uh, as a family, are obviously team RJ. So we are all, you know, here for him. Um, his two younger brothers, we, we joke that, you know, when they came along, they were kind of like two little therapists because, you know, the idea is to get a child with autism, sort of pull him out of his world and keep him with us. So he's more, he's more external with his family and the, the twins, um, well, Ryan with her son, with her brother has been immediately, um, able to sort of engage with him. Uh, but the, two younger brothers have been like these little annoying therapists for him. So I remember there was a moment where, you know, he got really annoyed by one and he said, you know, shut up Robinson. And my husband and I were applauding and celebrating. Oh, he told him to shut up, you know, which obviously is not something parents are supposed to get excited about. But for us, it was a really great yet small win that he was interacting with his brother, 
through language and in a very typical way. Um, so the boys have been really essential in helping him, especially as he's become a teenager and navigated some more difficult areas of anxiety and, you know, OCD and some other issues. Um, so it's really been a team effort and the family, the, the kids have been tremendous, you know, resources in helping uh, RJ. And I find that, you know, with other, you know, families we've met along the way that siblings have been extra helpful, but yet for them, they do make sacrifices. So play dates kind of get cut short, vacations, you know, trips. Sometimes if, you know, RJ wasn't doing well in a restaurant, everybody had to go. So there were a lot of sacrifices that were made and my kids have been pretty awesome at, you know, not making it about them and being very selfless. But that said, as a family, as a mom, I have to find individual one-on-one time with them so that they feel really connected with me and don't feel like it's always a second fiddle to their brother. Yeah. And you also talk about how sometimes coaches, teachers, other children don't really understand or have the insights about autism to be patient with RJ. And that can really be a struggle for him or frustrate him especially. Yeah. I mean, just because, you know, you're an educator doesn't mean you're educated in how to deal with special needs kids. That's his particular skill set. I don't, for the life of me, understand why every teacher doesn't have a little bit of special education background because I just feel like it, you know, certainly autism is so prevalent. I mean, there's so many kids with it. And I do feel like it would be great for teachers and coaches to have some kind of experience on how to deal with these young people. I mean, listen, we want our kids to play sports too. We want our kids to be in mainstream schools as well. So we we do find as parents, we, a level of frustration that there isn't more instruction in, you know, in, in just schools on, you know, more training with teachers and coaches and, and not just teachers and coaches, but policemen, you know, public servants, everyone should have a, a sense of what it's like to, you know, be around or connect with a young person with autism uh, or any kind of other special need. I think that's really imperative. That's good for everyone to know. Now, the subtitle of your book is Teen Life on the Autism Express. Could you describe what you mean by Autism Express? <laughs> the Autism Express is just the autism journey. You know, you're on this speeding train going through life, and what do you know? What do you do? And and you know, when you get on an express train. That means you don't make the stops, you know, at the local stops <laughs> and you get places quicker. And so, you know, that express moves fast. And sometimes we need, you know, life to slow down a little bit so that we're able to navigate the local stops. Um, and for kids with autism, you know, stopping at those local places is a challenge. Um, and my, hitting milestones is a challenge. And so Teen Life on the Autism Express, I have to say I love that subtitle because it's something that really resonates, uh, has resonated at least, I know for me, but for, you know, the barometer that I have in my life, which are, which is other families with you know, experiencing autism, they love that title and that subtitle because they just, it just seems to, you know, pretty much, you know, encapsulate everything that they're experiencing. I could see really is evocative. So as you said, RJ was diagnosed in 2000. What do you wish you had known then that you know now? 
Oh, good question. I wish I had known that he was going to be able to do a lot of the things that he was told he couldn't do. I mean, our diagnosis day, we, we infamously dubbed it the never day because he was told he would never do so much. He would never speak, have any meaningful personal, inter, interpersonal relationships, mainstream in school, play sports on teams, um, say I love you. I mean, we were literally given that that laundry list of things, of nevers, on that first day when we were already, you know, reeling in the fact that, okay, what is autism? We don't even know what it is. And that was our sort of welcome to autism day. So I wish I had known that not only would he be talking, but that he would be advocating for other children impacted by autism. And I love that. I take him with me very often to talk about his experiences. And he's concise. He gets right to the heart of what he's trying to say. He doesn't ramble. And he's a man of few words, but his words are powerful. So I wish I would have known that he would be such a beacon of light for other kids and that have autism, um, other families of dealing with kids on the spectrum. Uh, I might not have been so sad that day. And I think that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to, you know, um, document um, our, our journey with him. Because Lord knows it's really helpful to see what other people are going through on any in any given subject, whatever whatever your situation may be. You know that's why there are support groups. So I would have I wish I would have known that things a lot of things that they said that he would never do he ended up doing. Yes, and you do describe in the book the importance of establishing and being part of a strong supportive community when raising a child with special needs. Oh, yeah. I mean, the people that we've met along this journey have been some of the most amazing people. We've also encountered some people who really need some education about autism. And I have now morphed into a more patient, (laughs) educational mom, you know, when I'm out in public and I see a little bit of ignorance to, you know, the needs of and special needs uh, people. I get, I used to get so burned up, you know, and want to just cuss everybody out, you know, but now I'm very patient and I understand that people don't always know to stop and think and be empathetic to other people's situations. Um, and so I find that you really get people on your side when you explain what, or try to explain what autism is and try to explain, well, my kid has an issue with loud noises or, or my kid doesn't. Um, it's hard for him to make eye contact. That's why he's not looking at you. And so you try to do that with a sense of elegance and class and grace and understanding as opposed to uh, trying to sort of, you know, hit someone over the head figuratively, you know, with really their own ignorance. So I've tried to educate the communities that I've been a part of. And um, by sharing our story, I think we've we've been helpful in that area. Absolutely. Now you have the book. I also want to bring up before we let you go your reality show on the Oprah <laughs> Network. I, yeah, I love it. I can believe it. <laughs> I loved being introduced to your children in the first episode. They're all just so lovely, adorable, and loving. Such a credit to you. Could you tell us how the show came about and what's ahead? Sure. So for Pete's sake, which uh, airs on the Own Network on Saturday nights at 9, 8 central for everybody listening. Um, for Pete's sake is a different take on reality because I think when we think of reality, we 
imagine, you know, women fighting and glasses being thrown and, you know, just nonstop conflict and, and drama. Um, it's a family reality show. It's definitely a, has a higher level of integrity, I think, than a lot of other reality projects. Um, but it's got humor and tension and heart, and it's about a family working things out. You know, a lot of we experience things much like a typical American family. Obviously, you know, we live in the Hollywood scene, but we're not very Hollywood, which is interesting. You know, so we're very grounded, although we live in sort of this environment. And I really, you know, we've been recruited for a show like this for a long time, and we really wanted to wait until the kids were older. Our, our youngest is 11, and he has a point of view, and I want to be able to go to him and go, listen, you know, there are going to be cameras in the house, and this is what happens, and we want you to, you know, use this opportunity to, you know, um, see, talk about what you want to talk about. And and, and it's interesting, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I was 10 or 11, I didn't really know what a social media brand was or <laughs> platforms or any of those. Things. I thought platforms were shoes I wore in the 70s. Yeah. But now platforms are, you know, an opportunity to share things that you are interested in or you want the world to hear. So and everyone has a brand now and everyone has a social media platform. And um, I did want to use that to sort of share, you know, what kind of family we have and um, so far, so good that the people have been responding and it's been resonating and um, we're really excited about it. And, you know, we are going to talk about RJ's autism. We watch him go out and try to get a job. We are, we, you know, we watch the family rally around him. We, you know, we watch um, my husband talking about his, you know, life after football and what that's been like for him physically and mentally. We talk, take on the very um, controversial topic of, you know, CTE in the brain and, you know, you know, our fears about that. Um, so while it does have a lot of humor, we also do talk about pretty serious topics. And uh, I think that makes the show a little bit more compelling. You do an extraordinary job. And I do agree that all of you are grounded, although I don't know if you can make that claim for your mother, Dolores. No, AKA I can't make G that Money. claim. And she's 80 <laughs> and dating and on her fifth tattoo. And she's very much a free spirit. And I love how she embraces life. Um, it's a little hard for my husband to navigate, as you know, mother-in-laws <laughs> can be. Um, but she's one of a kind, and I haven't quite ever seen a character like her on reality TV. So <laughs> Nor have I. <laughs> I. We're enjoying we're enjoying learning more about Dolores as we see uh, some of the things that happen I'm with look, her. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing more episodes. Well, thank you so very much, Holly. It's really been a joy talking with you, and I wish you and your family all the very best. Well, thank you for having us, and, and thank you to all the listeners for listening, and I hope you are able to uh, get uh, a copy of Same But Different, Teen Life on the Autism Express. We're very, very proud of it. We asked Holly to read from her new book. The chapter she chose begins with Charlie coping with the first day of school. Okay, here we go. First day is always the worst. New people, new routine. But this year, things suck even more. New people, same place, same grade, all over again. No Cali. I'm cool with the no Cali part. That girl is always trying to jump into my business. Always telling me that she's my eyes and ears for when I need help figuring it out. Well, guess what? I can figure it out without her. Getting held back is even worse 
when you're made to stay in special ed. Why do they call it special ed anyway? There's nothing special about being in a place people say is the loser room. I'm sick of being special. I don't want to be special anymore. I want to be in the main room in school. I mean, all I ever hear my parents talking about is getting me into the mainstream. Well, there's nothing main about having kids look at you like you just farted. Is that why I'm special? The good news is I have Ms. Jackson this year for homeroom. The bad news is that Ms. Jackson was Callie's homeroom teacher last year. Turns out Ms. Jackson also teaches special ed. That's good news, too. But as soon as I get into class, I hear people comparing me to the normal twin. That's bad news. Callie's nowhere around. She's someplace in this big crowded school. She's off swimming in the mainstream. She's off being normal. Good for her. Miss Figure It Out is figuring it out for her own self while I'm stuck here being special. Trust me, this is a great read. Thanks again to Holly. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Megan K. Safer, sound mixer and editor Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.